Look, starting and running websites is not always a walk in the park. When you go and read online marketing sites, you're going to be reading about hockeystick growth and how amazing it can be to run a site and, you know, people doing really well, etc. And really can happen. I mean, happened to us many times with sites and happened to many other people as well. But sometimes things don't go as planned and your site is slow, not growing, even shrinking with Google updates, etc. And people tend to want to give up on their sites. And for the sake of balance in the industry and because really not many people cover that side of the business, Today, we want to talk about this, the times when you're probably considering giving up on your website and whether you should do it or not. And we have, in many cases, actually given up on websites or plowed through and actually kept going and did okay. So we have a lot of stories to share in this podcast. Obviously, a lot of you guys know about health ambition that we gave up eventually, and we'll talk about that in this podcast. So if you want to hear about that, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of info in this podcast. And we also have a bunch of other stories from friends and age pro members, etc., that we're going to be talking about. So let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the Authority Hacker podcast slash show, I guess we could say show because we're doing a lot of videos these days. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about whether you should give up on your website or not. So it's not a fun topic to talk about, but it's an important topic to talk about. And there are times when you actually should give up on your projects. And we wanted to talk about that. Should you start something new? Uh, sometimes we also get excited by like shiny uh, objects, etc. And we should not give up on what we're doing. So it's, it's a quite important one that we wanted to talk about. We did a podcast about this a while ago, but it wasn't, I mean, it, it's pretty old, to be honest. And I think we have a lot more stories and experiences around this. So it's going to be quite an interesting one. And we're going to be sharing the stories with Mark. So how's it going, Mark? How are you doing? Any pair of socks or anything? Well, funny <laughs> you should say that. I don't have any to show you today, but a sock company reached out to me. So there's a member of Authority Hacker Pro who started and runs a sock company in Europe, and he wants to send me some socks. So, you know, good things come to uh, those who show their socks on podcasts, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Someone suggested to send you some uh, underwear as well, so that uh, I don't know if people are interested in doing that. But uh, go well, ahead. I can't promise <laughs> I'll wear that on air, but we'll see. I just wanted to add to what you were saying before around you know we sort of covered this topic already, but it's been several years since we we've done that. But there's also some new angles I want to talk about today, particularly for more advanced people. So. You know, we all know about the shiny object syndrome and the stages people go through when they're launching a site and how they can question it. And we'll go through all of those today as well. But later on, when you've done a lot of work and you're years into it and you have a seven figure site, you can still come across these instances where you're not sure, like, how do I get to the next level? How do I break through to the next plateau? And there's many different ways of dealing with this. So I think there's something for everyone to learn today and it should hopefully be a good episode. Yeah, there's a bunch of fun stories as well. Let's just jump in. Let's just not wait. I always rewatch the podcast and I realize how much we ramble. So I'm not rambling. Let's start. <laughs> and I think the first one, when you should consider giving up, or when you, a lot of people consider giving up, but maybe should not, is pre-launch. Before the site is even ready or anything, what a lot of people tend to do is they quickly find a niche then they go and buy a domain or buy an expired domain, something like this, go and buy a WordPress theme, kind of like do all the setup, maybe set up the email, like they have a shiny new email. They want to take action and feel like they're making yeah. progress. So like domain, email, WordPress theme, all these things like feels like you're making progress, but I think that's the wrong way to do it. 
Well, that's the thing. It's like they do all these stuff and then they get to a point where they essentially have a great looking branded empty site. And then it's like, oh shit, I need to write some stuff now. And then that's when people start doing code research. And then they realize that, oh, it's not going to be so easy. Oh, uh, it's going to like, I can't beat these people or I don't know how to tackle this niche, etc. And that's usually when a lot of people give up and have a bunch of like domains that are like, not they don't even have content. We've done that multiple times before, like especially back in the day. Yeah. On the Namecheap account, you just have like uh, 12 domains that you don't use or anything. And then they just become your test domains for your plugins that you bought or something like this or whatever. And that's the problem. And I think this stems from poor niche research and poor preparation. That's actually one of the things we do in the auto site system. And I think it shocks a lot of people that like you don't start building your site until like module four or something or five or something. And everything before is literally working on spreadsheets with like, okay, what pages are you going to write about? Who are the competitors? How are you going to monetize and all this stuff? And what it does is it prevents this from happening. It prevents you from getting to this point where you're like, I don't know what to do with this. This was probably a bad idea. It also prevents you from doubting yourself, right? Because if you made a strong plan and you're doubting, then you can just refer back to that plan and realize that, yeah, actually it does make sense. And, you know, there is this stuff I can do. But you don't get to that hesitation point where you need to start creating content and you have no idea where to go. Usually when we do a, a V1 planning, we tend to have 40 to 100 pages that are planned for that website. Actually, you know, we're building, now we, t- we can talk about it. We're building the test 3.0 site right now. And it's like, it, it was a very smooth transition from the point of building to the point of creating content. Actually, a lot of content was created before the site was ready, just because we had done the planning before, etc. It was much easier. So yeah, do your planning correctly and then you will avoid this sticking point and you will know whether you should do you should work in that niche before you spend any money. You're going to save a bunch of money as well on you know themes and domains and all that stuff because you're not going to waste your time, basically. Just to add to that as well, like if you do get to that research point and think, oh, actually, this is not for me, that's actually the best time good, yeah. to quit, the best time not to do it because you invested a little bit of time but not really any money or any serious effort compared to if you're one year in. So you know, don't be afraid to pull the plug on ideas uh, that you've bottomed out more thoroughly in, in research phase. Yeah, I mean, you know, the niche research in the new test, I'll spoil again, but I start with 25 niches and I finish with one. It's like, I, it means I abandon 24, basically. And it's great. Also, it's good to do this process with like multiple niches in parallel because there's, you don't know if a niche is good if you don't have anything to compare it with, you know? So it's like, you only know it's better or worse than the other one. There's really nothing else that you can look at. So it's it's you should actually be looking at many niches and abandon. And now the way I do it, I kind of like drop over time, you know, there's kind of like checkpoints. And when you get to these checkpoints, then you're like, okay, do I want to keep this niche? Or like, it's already looking bad. I'm not going to bother finishing the work for it, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I would recommend thorough niche research is going to prevent the, the stalling at the start, which happens to a lot of people, especially beginners. That's really a beginner problem, I would say. Yeah, and the next common phase or the, the next logical phase that people get to is they've done all that, they've done the keyword research, they've built the site, it looks good, they've started getting some basic content up there and maybe they've started building a handful of links or something, but 
they've done all this work and not much is happening. They were expecting to see, I don't know, millions of visitors on day four or something. But that's not usually very realistic for how these things work. And it can be a bit jarring doing all this work, putting all this effort in and not really seeing anything for in terms of like a, a reward so quickly. And it just feels like everything starts to slow down a little bit and get a bit more grindy. And I think this is something every single site goes through. So the main thing is that you should expect this to happen. I don't think anyone should be expecting to make it rich on, you know, even in the first year, to be honest. Uh, it, it takes a long time to, for a site to start gaining serious traction these days. And you need to understand that the feedback loop, that is the time between when you're doing this work and putting in the effort and when you're seeing the results, that could be analytics traffic, actual money in the bank or whatever else, is very, very long. So it can play on your emotions a little bit and you feel like certainly versus other types of work that you do the work, you get paid at the end of the week or at the end of the month. It doesn't really happen like that when you're in the early days of, of starting a site. So I think it's really important to anticipate this. And when it does happen, set yourself some very realistic goals. So the first goal might be to make your first dollar or to, to get your first hundred organic visitors on your site. All like goals of achievement that you can control, like 10 blog posts or something like this as well. Like, And it's like, don't tie an outcome like traffic or anything to it, but rather my goal is to have this 10th article published by the end of the month or something. And it's like, it helps a lot actually with that. I think there's an argument to be said, like control what you can control. But I also think it is really important to have these higher level goals, even if they're make your first dollar. Because if you go into this thinking like, oh, I want to make, you know, $10,000 a month, that's my goal. Okay, cool. But you should break that down into multiple steps. Otherwise, until you get to that 10K range, you're going to be feeling like shit. It's like, oh, I'm not there yet. When am I going to get there? But the first dollar is the hardest, right? It gets easier after it's that. It's exciting as well, right? It's like, I remember, actually, it's like, it's funny. We just closed an age for lunch, but like we did an age for lunch a couple of years ago that did quite well. And then we had that new site that we were working on at the same time that like made its first $50 or something. <laughs> it's like, essentially, age Pro made a lot more money at that time, obviously. Mark and I couldn't stop talking about the $50 that site make. And we kind of like dismissed the end of the of the launch and just focused on that. And it was, um yeah, it builds a lot of motivation. But like, it's really that point where, you know, you've kind of do, done all the easy setup, all the visual stuff, like, et cetera. And you just need to grind your content. And because, as you said, the feedback loop, it takes time, but it takes more time for new sites. Like when you have a, an age site that's like three, four years old, Sometimes you publish a new rank on page one within a week, great, you know? But a new site, it's quite rare. <laughs> and so it, it really, it really quite hurts to wait this long. But yeah, you just have to deal with that slowdown of pace that sucks. And the thing as well is the time as well where expenses start to rack up, especially if you're paying for writers. If you, I don't know, maybe you you pay for link builders as well, you pay for all that. It's like, that's when you're starting to spend your money in a quite serious way. Like buying a theme for $35, it's like, it's really not a massive expense or anything. Even a hosting account for $100. You know, when you do quality content, it's quite frequent that like that one article costs $100 plus. And well, you need you need 100 of these or something. And it's like, well, suddenly your bank account is emptying. And then you're also seeing that the money is very far away. And so the, the return is very far away. So it's like, it's the scariest part, like it's the scariest time to like, you know, pull money out of your wallet. Because if you rank in a week, it's much easier to be like, okay, fine. Like in a week or in a month, I'll be here and I'll at least get some traffic for this and not try to make my full return, but I'll get something for it. Whereas you get zero at the beginning of the site. But you know, this phase is, I think, 
the phase where a lot of people quit this and the next one. And I think it's great because if it wasn't hard at that point, then there would be so much competition, so much more competition. So if you're struggling, think about all the other people that are quitting at the exact same moment as you. And it's basically like, you know, it's the Hunger Games, right? It's like, it's like there's only one left at the end. I mean, not one, but there's only a few people left at the end that make a lot of money. And then every time you see an open and fall, it's like you have, you're getting closer to this. So it's kind of like the way I'm looking at it when it's really hard. And I think it helps me a bit, actually. A really good practical thing you can do to help manage your own motivations here and get a bit of earlier feedback is to set up Google Search Console. It's totally free. And that will show you, like analytics will show you the amount of traffic you get. Google Search Console will show you the amount of traffic Google is sending you from SERP. And that may be zero or like hardly any people. But crucially, GSC, Google Search Console, will also show you the amount of times your site is appearing on search engines results page, which is always a lot higher than the actual traffic you're getting. So that being said, it acts as a kind of early lead indicator. So the graph on GSC will, for your impressions will go up much earlier than your, your search traffic goes up. So if that's happening, you can be rest assured that you're kind of doing the right thing. Yeah. All right. The next one is kind of like the next step where it's like you're getting some traffic, you're making some money, but it's kind of like the sites that get like a hundred visits per day type thing or the sites that make like a hundred dollars a month or something. Usually the range I would put this step is between a hundred and a thousand dollars a month where it's like you're making some money, but you've already invested some money at this point. And it's really not making enough for you to be close to like quitting your job or making this your main source of income, especially if you need to keep investing in content. You might even be at a loss still, but like, you know, there's still some money coming in. But it seems far, right? It's like it's like if you're making a hundred dollars a month, even getting to a thousand, you need to it's ten times that basically. And and because the human mind typically is really good at visualizing growth in a linear way, it feels very far ten times, right? But the thing is, actually, you know, it's it's as easy for me to take a, a site from a hundred dollars to a thousand dollars as it is to take a site from zero to a hundred dollars more or less. Not, maybe not exactly, but like, you know, it's in the same ballpark of difficulty depending on the size, et cetera. And so really it's like, if you've done it already, you just need to do it again and you'll probably get to a thousand. And when you get to a thousand, it's nice because you can start really like, at least the site pays for it, can pay for its bills if you don't spend too much in content. And when a site is basically running for free is when I get really excited about a project because I'm like, well, well, we're just growing, adding content, adding links, etc., And it's just costing us nothing. Even if it takes two years, it's fine because like my bank account is literally not suffering from this at all. And I'm building an asset that's eventually worth more money, etc. So overall, I would say it's the worst time to quit because there's a big opportunity. Like a site that makes $100, I mean, for example, Madigity, right? Madigity, he tries to buy like sites that make very little money. And there's a good reason for that because they're out of the sandbox. They're already ranking a little bit. There's like all that really stuff that we talked in the previous step is gone. And if you double down, very often you will do well because you already proven the concept because you're already making $100 a month. So it's the thing as well. And then the thing as well is like managing your expectation, managing yourself as well. It's like, I see a lot of beginners that get quite emotional at that point. Like they're like, they think that's it. And they think that, you know, everyone else is making 10K a month and, they, you know, their attempt just yielded a hundred dollars a month. And it's like, it comes with experience. Once you take a site to a hundred dollars, from a hundred dollars to a thousand dollars a month, that it's not as scary. But if for some people, they just imagine that's it and they will get nothing else. And you've got to also, I like to think about the, the value of a website, right? Because even a site that makes a hundred dollars a month, it's like 35X no multiples now, something like this. So it's worth 3,500, right? But it's not that hard to take from a hundred to a thousand. You just need to push it a little more. If you put it to a thousand, this site is worth 35 grand. So it's like, 
quite a bit of money for a lot of people, right? It's a new car or something like this. It's like, you know, a big down payment on your house or something, something like this. Like you can, it can really change your life even this much. So it's like, and the thing as well, I think the, the hard part for this is when your site plateaus around this amount, that's when people freak out basically, because, and that's something we'll talk a little bit about plateaus later, but growth for websites in our experience is really not that linear as well. So for example, I'll give you the example of a toy hacker. Atari Hacker, the pattern of traffic, if you look at the analytics over years, it's like we grow a lot in January to March, and we kind of like stay stagnant the whole year, and then we just grow a lot in January to March. And like many sites we had kind of like experienced that kind of thing as well. And so if it's your first site, which a lot of people that will struggle at this step, it will be their first or second site, you imagine that you're going to be there forever. It's it's pretty frequent that your site, you're going to make like 100, 100, 100, 100, and then like 500, 1,000. And like over two months, you'll just be like, you'll be there and you don't know why you were there for six months for $100. And it jumps to that. So overall, I am excited when my site makes 100 because I know that I've proven the concept, provided I didn't put like an incredible amount of resources behind it so that it makes $100. I know I just need to basically put about the same amount of effort and it would be fine. So I also find that tracking this and looking at it on a monthly basis, not just in, in analytics or something, but like having a spreadsheet where all your key metrics are like revenue, organic traffic, revenue per thousand visitors, uh, if you can if you can be tracking that as well. And then just having that all on a spreadsheet and checking every month and looking back and seeing those numbers go up slowly. So, you know, 100 to 120 bucks, like it may mean nothing in terms of what, how it changes your life, but a 20% increase is still huge. I mean, on any one of our websites that we got a 20% increase in, in revenue today, it would be amazing, right? So you need to look for the wins where you can and not just kind of look at it from this, oh, how does this impact my life at this very moment? I also think what you said about the value of the site, like keeping track of what it's worth every month by multiplying the revenue, the profit by 35 and looking at how that increases over time because the number's quite significant Gross more faster, early yeah. on. Yeah, it can help you feel like you're making progress in a more significant way. Actually, smaller sites sell for higher multiples as well, right? So it's like actually when you're in that range, it's not infrequent to see even sites sell for 50x, for example. And the thing is, you always have to think, who's on the other end of this deal? What information do they have that I don't? If I think this is like not going well and I'm abandoning ship, why is someone else buying it? Are they idiots? Well, you know, someone like Matt Diggity, obviously not. I mean, they know what they're doing. So if they think they can take the site and grow it, then, you know, surely there's still opportunity there. Yeah. For us, it's kind of like, same for us. Like, you know, if you can buy a site like that, a site that makes a hundred bucks a month and you buy it for like three grand to five grand, I guess that's going to be the range. It's great because usually that site is already at least six months old, I would say. And it's either under monetized because the owner just doesn't know how to monetize. So he just used AdSense or something. Or it's just like, just starting or like one or two articles did well. But then usually if you find how like this article that did well, you can just find more keywords that will promote the same offer, at least double, triple, quadruple the revenue. Even if it doesn't become like a $100,000 a month play or something, you can still like get a massive return from not doing that much. Like very often, even just posting a bit of content and getting like a 15, 20 guest posts to a site like that would double, triple its value. So it's like, yeah, I think it's the, probably the worst time to or give it up. It's also the kind of size that you should be excited to work on. I think it's usually your, your biggest opportunities in terms of like doubling your money, like a return on investment, you know? When a site makes a hundred bucks, it's like, I think it's like the time where your money multiplies the fastest almost in a lot of cases. So I would look at that. Well, I'd also just uh, like to add one more point here. Because the person has built an 
got a website to a certain level, they've obviously developed a lot of skills and knowledge along the way, which is super valuable. But what, at least what happened to us a lot, and I know happens to a lot of other people, is you start seeing cases of other people in other niches, hearing at conferences, someone talk about how much they're making with this strategy or in doing this kind of thing. And you think, oh, I could do that too. I have all the skills to do that. And then the temptation can be to like start from scratch in that space, that other space, you know, it's classic shiny object syndrome. Um, but inevitably, it's never as easy or as never straightforward as that. So you just have to be really, really careful that you're not. There's a really good phrase in English for this, like you're not doing something to do something else. I, that's every phrase. Can't actually that's, that's literally every phrase at this point. It's like you're not doing something something to spite the right hand or something like that. I can't remember. Anyway. <laughs> that was definitely a lot of wisdom. Too much to take at once, you know? Someone in the comments will know for sure what, what I meant. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the next one. I think the next one, I mean, we definitely have some personal stories about that, and that's after Google update. And it's kind of like, especially at us when you're like, you've been growing recently, you're kind of like excited, you're in that mood, maybe you've been hiring more people, you've been investing more because you're like, oh, I'm doubling down, this is really working. My site went from like $1,000 a month to like 4000 in the last six months or something, that kind of growth. And then core update happens, and then your traffic goes, <laughs> and it's like divided by two, divided by three, something like that. And obviously, all of you guys know, I mean, most people know it happened to us on health ambition. And we actually decided to pivot away from that. So I actually want to talk two minutes about it because, you know, what has happened, my instant reaction, and it was through the medical update, by the way, and my instant feeling was like we were at the wrong time at the wrong place. And it's like health ambition wasn't necessarily written by PhDs and doctors, etc. It was okay. It was in the line of like, you know, wellness mama and a lot of, uh, even Dr. Rax, etc. A lot of other sites that have since tried very, very hard to recover <laughs> and have not recovered, or very little at least. So like looking at these sites, actually, because these were the sites that we were looking at to find keywords, for example. Looking at these sites, first of all, I'm pretty happy that we decided to pivot away, not invest more resources. Because when that happens, you essentially have two choices, right? You can either say, well, fuck this, and I'm out. Or you can say, I'm going to fix this. But it means usually heavy investment in resources. So for example, for these sites, it means they had to change their entire editorial stuff. They tried all the EAT stuff. They tried many, many things. Apparently, some people recovered from these updates, but like these guys I'm thinking about, the guys that we literally had in our computer spreadsheet did not. And it's hard to predict, right? You can't really tell what Google's going to do next. So it's, gonna, it's going to surprise you many times. Although I would say sometimes you can semi-predict it, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But like that's, I'm thinking about, I'm, let's introduce that concept now, actually. I'm going to call it autopilot mode. And autopilot mode is when you've built an editorial team, you have processes, and things are running, right? It's like you're not really reinventing the wheel, you're just finding more stuff to write about or update, etc. And now it's like, okay, how do we do this a thousand times? And, and that's autopilot mode. But the danger with autopilot mode, if you don't monitor it, is that your writers go in autopilot and your editors go in autopilot, etc. And nobody's really kind of like watching your site sleeping in terms of quality, etc. And you and it happened to us many times with editorial teams. And Mark knows how it goes because it sleeps down for like six months to nine months. And then 
out of the blue, we just go and check an article and we're like, this is fucking shit. Uh, <laughs> and then it's kind of, but like, if you don't catch it, Google catches you basically. And that's the thing. It's like, if, you, if you're unable to see that, that, that happens. So you can semi-predict that stuff's going to happen if you actually do some quality controls throughout the way and actually check people's work and really have a critical eye and also monitor your competition because it can also happen that you're maintaining that level of quality, but your competition is going like this in quality and all of a sudden you're just a lot less relevant in your niche. In the online marketing niche, holy shit, that happens all the time. Like It's like some articles we wrote a long time ago on the Toy Hacker that were absolute reference. Now some people have done way better and it's like we need to come back and actually do that than them, etc. And if you don't do that work, then you become irrelevant. And that happens in every niche to some, in, to some aspect. But anyway, to go back to the Google update, because all of this was to say you can essentially see you getting caught by these core updates if you get caught into that. You can either do this big site audit or you can quit. I can't tell you what to do because it really depends on the update, what is targeting and what to do. My advice when that happens is first of all, take a break, like give yourself like a month because very often Google updates you'll drop, but then they kind of like release a corrective update a month later and some sites just do come back like that. It happened for the medical date, happened for Panda, happened for Penguin, happened for all of these, etc. But personally, for me, I think it's sometimes a legitimate reason to quit a site and give up on it, actually. And looking back at Health Ambition, I have absolutely no regret that we did that. I'm very happy, actually. I don't know what you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, we. if you guys want to actually learn more about the Health Ambition story, and I think it was the end of 2018, we did a recap podcast where we talked like for quite a while about it. So we'll link to that wherever it is around the video for those listening or watching rather on, on YouTube. Honestly, I think the thing with Medic, the thing with that specific update was it was unfixable, yeah. It was unfixable from our perspective because so much of the content on our site was like pseudoscience based. I mean, we didn't really realize it at the time because we weren't like that into the niche. Autopilot mode. And we were just like looking at what other people were doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's that's the reason why sites like Healthline are, are just dominating and, you know, Dr. Axe and Wellness Mam are nowhere to be seen anymore. So I think once this happens to you, it's kind of hard to deal with immediately because you're you want to take action, right? Yeah. You want to you want to fix it. That's why every time there's an update and someone gets penalized, like, what's the reason for this update? Tell me so I can fix this on my site. But often there's just back in the day, it might have been more simple, like oh the duplicate penalty, duplicate content update or whatever. But now it's just so complex and you get no information and so many different things going on. There's not really much you can do, which it's is why- It's not just that. Sometimes fixing it is literally redoing your site, right? Sometimes yeah. like in the case of House Ambition, it was like, we need to rewrite like 80% of the content for these yeah. to be relevant. And there was 1500 articles on the site or something. So. And it's like, well, I could just rewrite an entire new site instead, you know? <laughs> it's like, and that's what we did. And we sold that site for a lot, of, a lot of money, you know? It's like, that's not the case with all sites, though. I know many examples over the last couple of years with these more sort of frequent but less drastic uh, core yeah, algorithm updates where it's really, it kicks people off into a mode of like doing all the shit they probably should have been doing anyway, like auditing their existing content, seeing what needs to be updated, seeing what needs to be removed, like maybe removing some shitty links, fixing some like technical SEO, crawl errors, redirects, like these kinds of things, which you should be doing anyway. But if you're not, this is a really good excuse to, and motivation to actually go and, and fix all of that stuff. And a lot of the, not all the time, but a lot of the time that can actually fix it or help fix it. Uh, the other thing I've seen a lot happen is people will spend nine months trying to analyze what goes on 
while all the while stopping all their normal content, like building optimization, marketing work. And then nine months later, they think, oh, why isn't my site growing? Why hasn't it come back? Well, it's like, well, you actually like, stopped working for eight months or, or whatever. Like you need to keep doing the things that cause you to go up in, in traffic. And even if you don't recover from that update, you'll get back there to where you were eventually just by continuing to work in most cases. Yeah, it's like if you have obvious flows to your site that are fixable with other ways than like rewrite all the content, <laughs> like technical issues, like yeah. things like that, then yeah, I would try to fix that because the investment in time compared to, especially if you're like, you were making thousands of dollars per month, like the investment in time is often worse the potential reward. So it's like, if it's a link issue, like, you know, people bought a shitty link building service five years ago and then whatever, Google catches them and just penalizes them or something or like a new update would happen to target this, uh, like this link. Yeah, you can do a disavow file, you can try it. And it's like, even if it's a lot of your links, I think you'll be surprised how sticky your rankings will be when you recover, despite disavowing a lot of your links. It's one thing that, I mean, we talked a little bit about this, I think with Matt Digity on the podcast, we talked about link ghosting, where essentially like the power of links stays like after you remove them or after they've disappeared for a while. And I think, yeah, even if you need to disavow like half of your link profile or something like this, it's probably worth giving it a shot again, probably like a day or two of annoying work. Maybe it depends on how big your site is. If you have a big site, maybe it's it's three weeks. But I think there's a good chance. So basically, if it's a technical debt that you need to pay, or if it's anything that you can fix in less than a few weeks, then I would say probably try to give a shot to these fixes. If like us, it's like a content issue, even a content angle issue that just, you know, Google doesn't want to hear about drinking lemon water in the morning to help your stomach or something like this, then just, just give it up basically. And that's one of these cases where actually pivoting is not a bad idea. And again, I repeat, no regrets. You want to do the next one? Yeah, so the next one's around having a core team member, a core member of staff, core writer, or especially if someone's like the face of your site or the face of your brand that you're, you're working with, quit or leave. And this can leave a serious hole in your company if you're if you're very, very small. Maybe you only have one writer, one person you're working with. If they leave, like, what do you do? I think a lot of people, when they start hiring people, they have this expectation that they're going to sort of just be there forever and never quit, never move on. I think that's maybe not the best mental approach to have. Like you can't avoid people people leaving. You can make your place, you can make your company a better place to work. Uh, you can, uh, you know, increase people's salaries, pay them bonuses, like treat them nicely. Uh, and and they'll, they'll want to stay, like, you know, share your vision with them for what you're trying to do, get them to buy in and get them excited and they'll hopefully stay with you longer. But the main thing is that you want to be, getting good work out of them while they're while they're there. You want to be making sure that all your learning that you you have as an organization, all your systems and processes that people are doing are documented and organized. You also, if you can, you know, diversify a little bit, have multiple writers working on your site, not just one. Uh, it's not actually any more expensive if you do that. It might take a little bit more time in management, but it can it can save you a lot of a lot of hassle doing that. And if you are if you ever have a writer as like the face of your brand, uh, who's you know the expert, then make sure you have the right contracts and and things in place so the that mechanism can continue to be in place should they leave at some point in the future. I know people who have worked with other writers and you know they've been plastered all over their site and then suddenly that person's left and they've had to remove all mention of them from their site and it just it can get a bit nasty quite quickly. So 
if that ever, if you're ever in that situation, communicate with the person, uh, try and be reasonable with them if it's all possible and try and have some sort of semblance of continuation as an option while you, you're looking for, you know, new people. The one thing I'll also say is that it's always possible. Everybody is replaceable, you know, even yourself. I thought you were going to say even me. Well, I mean, really, <laughs> really. I mean, mostly me, are, mostly me. I mean, it'd be hard, but like if you got run over by a bus tomorrow, like the, and it may take several people to do the task of like what you do, but like the things would eventually be able to get done again. You know, no offense, but. It's okay. I'm learning how to drive. So the bus is quite likely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it's the one that hits me the most actually. You know, it's like I'm thinking about one of our sites right now where we have that one writer, but she writes a lot and she's good and we're really happy with her. But it's a huge single point of failure. Like if if she quits or if she gets away, it sucks. It's like, I don't want to deal with it because I build that editorial. It's super nice. And it's like, it's one of these sites where it's like, we're not investing a ton, but we'll have just the one thing. We're not trying to grow it a ton, just like linear growth, basically. It's like, I would struggle. That's part of the mistake, though. That's part of the mistake because you wouldn't actually struggle as much as you think you would. Oh, if we tried because harder, yeah. all of the all of the time and effort you've put into getting her to where she is right now is not only learning for her, but it was learning for us as well and how we want content. That was like a back and forth process. And now we have a really clear idea of exactly what we want on that website. And so to bring someone else in and have them do it, yes, it'll take some time. Yes, there'll be a lot of uh, feedback and, and rounds of revision for the first few weeks, for the first month. But I, I mean, I'm very confident that that's like yeah. a replaceable person within you know two months, say. Yeah, um, but that is where you lose time. You lose yeah, time. And if it same. happens at the wrong time when, you know, one of your other sites get penalized and, you know, you're having a baby and, you know, something else happens in life and pandemic and all this stuff, it's just like one of those things that it can, if it happens at the wrong time, it can really hit you in like a not so nice way. So. It gets just pushed back, right? It's like you just deal with the emergency stuff and you just never replace that person. I mean, it's okay to put your site on standby for a bit as well. It's kind of the nice part of this business, this yeah. business model, by the way. It's like we, we've left some sites in standby for six months, a year or something, and then came back to creating content for them and, you know, st- stuff started ranking. So it's like, you can do that. For me, it's like, I hate hiring people, so it's definitely the the it would be the biggest blowback for me actually. Out of all of these, the rest, even the Google penalties, etc. Like it's kind of it's kind of fun to like work on these, etc. But uh, yeah, and also if you have good staff that's writing really well for you, etc. Like max them out if you can, because you never know when you're gonna lose them and how much of a pain it's gonna be and how much how long you will be without being able to create content if you're busy, etc. So I would say like. I don't have the same aversion to hiring people as, as Gail does. I mean, we've had a lot of bad That's hires why I don't do in, it, yeah. <laughs> in, in the past. So I think maybe that experience has, has jaded you slightly, but our hiring processes, our standards these days are, are really good. And like, yeah. I, I'm very happy with like the, the results it's, it's producing across all, all our sites. I'm just talking if I, I was doing that whole thing. I mean, you, you hired that writer and then I trained her and then got her up to Stevie, basically. And it's like, yeah, it's been good. Yeah. And if you guys are members of Authority Hacker Pro, check out that blueprint on building your editorial team. I break down our hiring process of step by step. So if you have an aversion to hiring writers and editors and all that, then just watch that and it'll, it'll help you massively. Yeah. Let's talk about the next point. And the next point is PR nightmare. So these things... They will not happen if you're a small website. They only happen when you start 
gaining some size. So you can see we're going from like the points where you're like a tiny website that doesn't even exist to bigger and bigger. Pure nightmare is essentially you're accused of something and like there's some controversy around you and it can cause some issues. Like even like, you know, if you get listed on like some scam databases and things like that, Google uses that as a ranking signal as well. It could actually eventually cost you your rankings. It could cost you a lot of stuff, etc. Actually, a PR nightmare, like I'll give you an example. It happened to one of our pro members who found, like he was found copying content from his competitors. I was actually surprised this ranked because some stuff was quite literally copy and pasted parts of the article and other parts were kind of like spun, rewritten. But it would just be the exact same type of article. It's in a pretty creative niche, so it's something that the content creators didn't take lightly. Just to point out, it wasn't this guy. It was like a writer who did it. I was going like to say. Their editorial <laughs> process wasn't in place to check yes. it and stuff. So That's what I was going to say. But like that's what was found, basically. And it was a, a lot of outrage. Like, you know, it's like it was outed, and there's like hundreds of comments on the blog post where it was outed, et cetera. And like, a lot of angry people and so on. But yeah, it was he was in autopilot mode. That's what happened. He was in autopilot mode and he didn't check the content that was coming out from his editorial team and his editorial team. I think he was putting quite a bit of pressure on them to like output a lot of content. And as a result, well, they found a way to go quicker, which is kind of like copying exactly what the competition is doing a little bit too much. You know, it's like there's really a fine line between like copy and pasting and doing a bit of your own version of what someone else has done, you know? So it's also like with writers, there is this general tendency to do a really good job at the start. And then as you take your eye kind of like off them, the the quality and the effort will start to sort of deteriorate and decline. I just, I think there's this thing when you work on with a a website for a lot, uh, from a writer's perspective, it starts getting less interesting and more repetitive, you know, for your 150th best extra Y article or roundup review of like generally the same thing, it, it does get a bit dull after a while. So I can see why those things happen, you know, especially with writers you've been working with for a long time and aren't paying close attention to. But nevertheless, when they do happen, you still have to deal with them, right? Yeah, I think it's especially hard for writers because, you know, the way we build sites is like when a hub is doing well, we just max it out. We just like order like 50 articles on the same template and the same keyword route, basically, you know, it's like whatever. Like we found some criteria, like, I don't know, best, uh, like best electronic paintball guns. And then there's like best electronic sniper paintball gun, best electronic like uh, shotgun paintball or something like this. Like, and then we'll just find all of these and we'll just order like 50 of these if, if possible. So for the writers, like, I guess it can be a bit tedious. And I think it causes a lot of churn as well for writers. Like some writers just get less interested, content gets bad, doesn't go well with the writer. And then it's like eventually you end up not working with them. But anyway, to go back to PR nightmare, I think it's like it's the autopilot mode. That's when you get into this mode where you just try to create a lot of this content at scale and eventually quality slips, but you're busy with something else. So you don't really check the content anymore because you've trained these writers and you get caught either in a PR nightmare always a Google Algo Algo update. Basically, it's like, you know, like this can happen and they're they're essentially the same causes, which is the the quality of your content has slipped. So you need to be quite careful. How would you deal with a PR nightmare? So it really depends on whether it's your fault or not. I think that generally my view is that you should try and come at this from an unbiased perspective. So like come clean, like, hey, this is what happened. Here is the various factors that led to it. Here are the bad decisions. Here were the consequences. Here's all the information. So, you know, put that on the table. Apologize for that, saying, you know, obviously that's a mistake. We didn't mean for that to happen or whatever. And then 
implement some kind of way of rectifying that and then explain what you've done so that it's not going to happen again in future. And generally, people are pretty understanding in those in those situations. There can be this case, though, where and this seems to happen with, with like politics and that a lot. If you admit you've done something wrong, then more people kind of pile on and can kind of snowball and, and be a little bit worse. So there is a school of thought. You say, you know, I just never admit doing anything wrong. I think I don't think you there's any absolutes in that. I think sometimes you have to sometimes maybe not. But in general, trying to be open, honest, transparent, and actually fix the problem will go a long way towards resolving it. And there's various other things you can do with kind of what's it called, like reputation management and all these kinds of things if, if you really want to get into it kind of longer term to deal with it. So it gets less visibility at least. Yeah, most drama goes away eventually. Like if it's pressed now, it's people are going to forget about it. Otherwise, there would be no politicians anymore. <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's jump on to the next one, which is one that has affected us quite a lot as well. It's essentially heating some kind of glass ceiling plateauing on your site, basically. And as I explained earlier, growth on websites is really not linear, right? It's like you're going to have like an increase and then you're just going to, you kind of stable for a while, then an increase. Depends, actually. Some sites, at the beginning, it tends to be like that. At the beginning, it tends to be like kind of like this linear growth. And as you grow and you get quite big, etc., then eventually you kind of get more into this plateau mode. At least that's our experience. And it's tough, actually. Like, for me, I hate the feeling of not progressing. I hate that. It's like... I don't care if I went from $10 to $25. It feels like progress. It's better than making $25 every month to me, <laughs> even though it's less money at the end. I know it makes no sense, but it's like that feeling of progression. It's, I think it comes from like playing uh, RPGs and like leveling up and that kind of stuff. Like I want to feel like the grind like yields to a level up or I just want to change the tactic. And I'm telling you, it's tough on a lot of people. I think like a lot of people make good money enough to have a great life but still end up not happy with their business because it's like they don't get that feeling of progression. I think it's like, it's especially more visible for bigger sites that make more money, right? Because it's like, you know, when a site, let's say from the point you reach like 15, 20K a month, something like this on the site. If you go to 22K, it doesn't really change anything. Like it's like, okay, you increase by 10%, but usually at that point you have enough to run your editorial already. You, It's like, sure, you can grow, but it's not going to feel like the massive progression you felt at the beginning. You're not growing like 100% really fast anymore, etc. And I think for me, it's quite difficult, but going back to this thing of like, setting smaller goals, starting new sections on the site has been quite good for me. That's what I like to do. So it's like, when we start on the website, I like to be like, okay, let's try to find a new hub I can start. And like, all the 10 pieces of content and monitor the growth of that hub on its own. And then what it does, it gives you that impression that you get at the beginning when you start growing really fast. It's even better because usually you do it on an older site. So, you know, you can rank in like a week, a month, whatever, etc. And if you monitor that hub, then you get that feeling of growth and excitement that you had at the beginning of your website that you don't necessarily get anymore when your site is a little bit bigger. So that's why I like to kind of like split it, etc. Another thing that I like to do is make a big brainstorming session and making a list of things to improve. We did it for the podcast, for example. We did, like, you know, for example, the podcast. I don't think there would be a lot in this podcast, but we started doing B-roll, for example, where there's like actual visual effects on the YouTube stuff, the way we schedule the premieres, etc. Like all this stuff was actually a giant list that I made. Timestamps. Yeah. yeah, it was a giant list that I made. And then we just tried to take one per week and implement it, right? And that feels like progress eventually. So it's a bit of doing this. It's a bit of managing your expectations and understanding that growth is not linear. And that eventually things compound, these 1% improvements eventually become 
quite big and uh, yeah, that's basically it. Anything else to say on this? Yeah, I think there's another situation with like the, of the glass ceiling effect. And that's like when the site is actually doing like really well, like, you know, millions, multi-million dollar valuation kind of level. And you inevitably get to the point where the only people above you are just like really, really well-run sites, oh, really yeah. well-run businesses, really large businesses with huge backgrounds, huge back financial backing as well. And to get from zero to 100,000 visitors a month may be relatively easy compared to going from 5 million to 10 million because you're taking away traffic from those people who are already doing things really, really well. They have the best content creators, the best processes, loads of money behind them. And breaking through to the the A-League, the championship level, is very, very difficult. And I know people who have sites that are worth multiple millions of dollars and they just don't know what to do now. They've produced like all the content they can produce. They've optimized it as much as they can. They've had huge link building campaigns, PR stuff, all that going on, but they just can't get through to this next level. And at that point is genuinely a good question. You know, do you persevere with that? Or is that actually a good point to sell? Because the higher your site is worth, right? In theory, the easier it should be to the easier it should be to like turn a few levers and do a few things, and then you know make another five hundred thousand dollars because you increased the traffic by fifteen percent or whatever. But when you get to when you get to the point where you're dealing with these A list competitors, it's, it gets really difficult um, to eat out their market share. That's what happened with the site we sold like soon two years ago. Actually, you know, it's like we reached that point where we beat all the small sites. But reaching to the big sites was like, I mean, we literally had to abandon Atari Hacker because that niche was this competitive. Like, it, like we, and we had to abandon a bunch of other projects as well. We didn't, obviously. Yeah, that was a good pivot of persevere point, right? It was like, okay, what do we choose? We know that our competitors on the highest level, that's the only thing they do. They don't have anything else. They're able to focus 100% on it and they have a fuck ton of money because they're ranking high for all these very lucrative keywords, like really a lot of money. And it's like, well, do we go 100% on this or do we do this other thing? Or do we just take a payday and then just like reset the clock basically? And so, yeah, that was uh, also something I don't regret actually looking back now and looking at this industry where we sold, still can't tell. Uh, but today we will, maybe we'll do, we'll, we'll tell. But yeah, looking back now, I have no regrets that we did that as well. And that's why this episode is interesting because there's actually points where it makes sense to pivot away. And we've done it several times and we gave you several examples here. And you shouldn't be afraid to do that as well. It's not always, you're not always a quitter and you shouldn't like call yourself out on that. It's all about strategy. And it's like, uh, it's like Sun Tzu says, Pick only battles you can win or something. And it's, uh, see, I have my quotes correct, by the way. And it's kind of this. And it's like, uh, and if you have a doubt, then you might as well just take the money. Like, And again, I think there's an interesting point as well. It's like, there's two ways to quit, right? There's either you can uh, sell your site. So you can go on a marketplace from Flipper to Empire Flippers to FE International to many other these days. Uh, or you can, I call it, let it glide. And letting it glide is basically not really doing anything, just pay the hosting bill and hopefully keep collecting checks long enough so that you make more money than if you sold the site. And also, when you let it glide, what you save is all the time and effort that you have to do to package your site and sell it and like talk to buyers, etc. The funny thing, and I'll tell that story because it's like, I'll tell you how we fuck up and how we could be a lot richer right now. We had that discussion about selling health ambition about two months before it crashed. <laughs> and Mark wanted to sell it and I convinced him very, very hard to not sell it. 
and to actually let it glide. So take my advice with a little bit of a pinch of salt. <laughs> and it shows you how, we, I mean, we, we have made quite good money from this. To be, to be fair, in your defense, knowing, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We now know that that was going to happen two months later. But with all the information we had at the time. We didn't know, yeah. It was probably still the right decision. Yeah, it kind of made sense for the valuations we got, etc. Like that was one of the points where we disagreed with Empire Flippers, basically. We disagreed on their valuation. And so for that reason, we went for that. But that's essentially that it's interesting to talk about this because it's that decision you need to make. It's like, do I believe my site is essentially going to make decent money for another, or like close enough to the money it's making now for another, well, 30 to 35 months, basically. And then if you last longer than that, then you you did better holding your site because you still have the site. It's not even that. It's not even that because like 30 to 35 months, sure. But then you still you could still sell it at yeah, the end yeah, of that 35 sell. months. So it's yeah. actually the time. Yeah, how long do you want to hold? Yeah. A lot less, you know, when you when you think of it in those, in those terms. One other thing, though, I just want to add around thinking about whether to start a new site, to pivot, to sell, all this this kind of stuff. When your site gets to a certain level, like mid five figures, even low five, low to mid five figures and above, definitely into the six figure range a month, then you get to this point where in order to get another site up to that level is actually hard, yeah. a colossal amount of work. And it can often seem as entrepreneurs like, oh yeah, let's start something new. That'd be cool. We can do this. We can do this. We do this. But inevitably, when you get into it, it takes more time, more effort, more money to get those things off the ground. And just because you've been working away, you know, earning the same amount of money, not apparently making progress, but still making good money every month, it may actually be better just to continue doing that for a little bit longer than to actually try and like sell that and then start something new, depending on, on where you're at. So just always be careful about, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side, uh, as the saying goes. I think you get jaded as well. It's like, you know, it's like once you've hit, let's say you had a site that hit $100,000 a month. You're not going to be that impressed by your new site making $1,000 a month. <laughs> it's like, and it hits, it like, you know, it's a bit of your, your motivation compared to someone who achieves that for the first time, you know? And you've got to consider, I mean, it's great for beginners. It means that they essentially like because of their hunger, that it gives them a, a bit of a competitive advantage at least. But yeah, it's like when we start sites and they make like they start making okay money, etc. Like because we had sites that really made a lot, etc. So it's like I'm like great, but like I don't get nearly as excited as I was for the first few sites that did quite well, you know. And yeah, it's something to consider as well. It's like how motivated, and especially. Especially if your bank account is full. You know what I mean? If your bank account is full of money because you sold your site or because you had, a, you've been holding onto a site that makes a lot of money, et cetera, your motivation to work on that, on that new site that makes a thousand, two thousand, three thousand a month, it's going to be, it's going to take a bit of a dent, you know? And it's something to consider as well. It's that self-motivation thing that we mentioned as well when, you know, your site doesn't make much or doesn't change your life that money you make. It's kind of the same points, essentially. Yeah, that's all I have to say. Anything else you want to add? No. All right. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on either the audio platform, so Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud as well, etc. Or if you're on YouTube, don't forget to also subscribe, click on the bell and drop us a comment and tell us what you thought about this episode and whether you abandoned the site or not. That's going to be the question of the week. I, I didn't just make it up. Uh, did, you <laughs> did you ever abandon a website? If you did, just let us know in the comments. How did it go, etc. Quite interested. We tend to have good discussions in the comments on YouTube. So I'm interested to hear uh, how it went for you. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.